happy Reformation Day, everyone. Uh, 504 years ago today, you may remember Martin Luther famously nailed his 95 theses to the uh, castle church at Wittenberg and accidentally started what we call the Protestant Reformation. You may remember from last week uh, that his goal in these 95 theses was to call the Roman Catholic Church his home church, that church that he loved back towards biblical worship and faith in Jesus Christ. But the Catholic Church in 1517 was a dark, dark place, and they weren't too receptive to these ideas and pushes for reform. Well, last week we kicked off our new series called The Glorious Gospel, The Five Solas, by taking a deep dive into sola scriptura. Uh, And this week we're going to continue on by picking up where we left off with the second one, sola fide. Before we do that, though, Uh, Let's do a quick background refresher. So Protestants, uh, you know, we we talk about the Protestant Reformation. Protestants, you may remember, are those churches who have protested against some key doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church and are are instead uh, in the vein born from the Protestant Reformation. All kinds of churches are Protestant. Lutherans and Wesleyans and Baptists and Anglicans and Presbyterians and Methodists and us, members of the denomination called the Evangelical Free Church of America, or the EFCA for short. That's just a short list of Protestant churches. There are many others as well. So, as you're probably aware of, we as Protestants still disagree very strongly with the Roman Catholic Church on some issues that are critical to the gospel. We saw the first one last week in Sola Scriptura, right? We still disagree about the authority of Scripture alone to this day. Protestants cling to the truth of Sola Scriptura, that Scripture alone is the highest authority. But the Roman Catholic Church still affirms the authority of the popes and the church or tradition and Scripture as all equal with each other. They're sort of this three-headed monster of authority, Last week we wrestled with that question, right? Who or what is our highest authority? And we concluded as Protestants uh, that the answer, of course, is Scripture alone. It's also important as we begin that we uh, understand the background of the church that Luther and the other reformers were speaking into. Today, while we have strong disagreements, there are Catholic churches where you could go and the Bible would be opened up and you could hear the word preached. Not so much in the early 1500s. Priests and popes were caught up in deep sin, and it spilled over into the churches. Entering Mass should have been a sanctuary from the world, a place to encounter God, but instead it was stepping into deep darkness, ripe with lust and greed and all kinds of debauchery. Popes and priests were more concerned with making money than making disciples and were more likely to be caught with a prostitute than grabbing coffee with a young believer. It was a dark, dark time for the church. And so, men and women with the call of God on their lives confronted and challenged and demanded reform in the church, and thank God they did, right? We're still reaping the benefits of their work today. Can you imagine showing up for worship every week to a place where there's a good chance that your pastor was with a prostitute the night before? It's dark, dark times. 
Well, these men and women courageously risked losing relationships with friends and family and favor in the eye of the public, but they recognized that the gospel of Jesus Christ was at stake. And whatever the cost, it was worth it. It It's worth it. Of course, we know that the Roman Catholic Church rejected this call for change, but in the process, the Reformers developed these five Latin terms called the five solas. We saw these uh, last week, but in case you missed that message or you don't have them memorized yet, uh, here they are. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. These exist independently, but they also come together to make a point. The point is this. According to Scripture alone, we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. According to Scripture alone, we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Well, as we talk about these, a question might arise in your mind, right? How can there be five if they're all supposed to be alone? There's that great sentence, but it says alone after each of them. So what's the deal? Are they alone or are they together or what's going on? Well, well both. Uh, they exist. There are five and they're supposed to be alone because each one of them is addressing a specific false doctrine. Each is responding to a question, right? Scripture alone is our highest authority, Not scripture and tradition and popes. Scripture alone is our highest authority. Not pastors or our emotions or any of those things, right? It's scripture that's at the top of the list. And it's our highest authority, though not necessarily our only God-given authority. There are other authorities established by God that we're called to obey. Faith alone. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Wrestles with this question, how are we saved? And the answer is faith alone, not by faith and works. The only way you're saved is through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by baptisms or by religious ceremony or any other kind of work. And then in the coming weeks, Pastor Dan is going to walk through grace alone, which says that you're saved simply because God is gracious and loving, not with the catch that you somehow have to earn it through good merits or efforts. And then Christ alone, the only one who can save a human soul is Jesus Christ, not any human being or by any other way. And finally, because of all that he's done, God gets the glory alone. Salvation and forgiveness and sanctification and transformation are not done by humans, but only by God. And so, therefore, only God can receive the glory for the Christian life. This morning, as I said, we're going to dive into sola fide, salvation by faith alone. This question of how are we saved? These next two statements Sola fide and sola gratia, faith alone and grace alone, are sort of the hinge point for the whole Reformation, right? Last week I said that if we don't affirm sola scriptura, then we have no basis for these next four, and that's true. And if we get justification by faith alone through grace alone wrong, if we get that wrong, it's really, really bad. In fact, Martin Luther said this, the doctrine of justification by faith alone through grace alone is the article by which the church stands or falls. It's the article by which the church stands or falls. It's so important that we get this right. If we get this right, 
If we get the idea of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone right, we have the greatest message in the world. If we proclaim the pure and true gospel that transforms lives and grabs people out of death and brings them into new life, that's, that's what we proclaim when we get this right. But if we get it wrong, if we proclaim salvation by faith and baptism, or faith and communion, or faith and works, or faith and insert whatever here, we preach a false gospel and we lead people not towards transformation, but straight towards death. If we get this wrong, God help us. If we get this wrong, the church falls. So, with that background and that burden in mind, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about what sola fide is and why it still matters for us today. Sola fide, saved by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 spells this out very clearly. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You are saved by grace, it says, and Pastor Dan will dive into that one next week, but through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so no one can boast. The Roman Catholic Church in the early 1500s got this completely wrong. Last week, we talked about literally paying for sins with money via indulgences, right? But it went deeper than that. The Roman Catholic did and still does profess justification by faith and works, whether it's baptism or some other bonus work that gets you across the finish line. So, while the broader church was professing this false gospel of faith and works, the reformers were convinced of the truth of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith and nothing else. We refer to this truth as the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Justification, for our purposes, means this. Justification is a Christian's judicial acceptance by God as not guilty— because his sins are not counted against him. It's judicial. It's our legal declaration of not guilty. Your sins don't count. They're not counted against you. Why? Because of the shed blood of Jesus who bore your sin and your punishment on the cross. Justification means that you are legally declared not guilty before God. So, as we saw in Ephesians 2, And as we'll see in just a bit, Scripture, our highest authority, clearly tells us that we are justified, that is declared not guilty, because of our faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone. It has nothing to do with anything that we bring to the table. In fact, even the faith itself in Ephesians 2 is identified as a gift from God. It's solely by the loving call of God that we come to salvation. In fact, Isaiah 64 says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and the wind, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We bring nothing but filthy rags to the table. We are justified solely by Jesus Christ, not by works. 
That's the message that this band of reforming brothers and sisters took forward and confronted people and the church with. It didn't sit well with the Catholic Church. And as these solas continued to gain traction, the church realized they were going to have to engage with and deal with these theological differences. And so, eventually, some key players and leaders in the Roman Catholic Church decided to meet three times over the period of 18 years in the Italian city of Trent uh, to discuss this Protestant Reformation and all that was going on and to make some decrees to sort of respond to this stuff. This meeting, or these meetings, uh, became known as the Council of Trent, uh, and decisions made during this council between 1545 and 1563 still carry weight today. Regarding sola fide, salvation by faith alone, right, they determined this. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification or the grace of salvation, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. In other words, if you believe that you are declared free of sin simply by your faith in Jesus Christ, and that you bring nothing to the table, you are excommunicated, cut off, and cut out from the Roman Catholic Church. Friends, this is exactly what we believe and precisely what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 to 28, parts of it say this, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. We're not saved by the law, right? The law exposes our sin and shows us our need for a Savior. But now, Paul says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament or the law and the prophets spoke of this coming salvation, namely that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short and are justified freely by his grace through Jesus. Not by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Where, then, Paul says, is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So, do we boast in our salvation? Do we hang our hat on what we bring to the table? No. How could we? How could we? We bring nothing to the table. Have you ever been reading your Bible and there's like some commands of things that you need to do, some laws to follow, and you think, well, I can do that, and I can do that, and I can do that, and I can uphold this law, and I could probably do that, and that's all good, right? And then you walk away, and three minutes later, what happened? You failed at this, and you failed at that, and you sinned here, and you sinned there, and you did that. All right, the point of the law is to expose sin, not to bring you to a place of shame or guilt, but to show you your need for a Savior, to push you back to Jesus when you sin, to Jesus who for the joy set before him bore that sin on the cross. You see, we are justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Each of us has sinned, but God presented Jesus as our sacrifice. We cannot boast 
of our works in salvation because we have no good works to bring. A person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Over and over and over again, the scriptures teach that it is faith that is by faith alone that we receive the benefits of Christ's work on the cross. John chapter 1, verse 12, for example, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. The right to be children of God comes from belief in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Or Romans chapter 5, Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? How can we be justified and declared innocent in his sight? By placing our faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross. The doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone is screamed from the mountaintops throughout the pages of Scripture. I want to address two questions around this as we move towards wrapping up. First, what about all those texts, like pretty much the whole book of James, that seem to tell us that our works really do matter? And second, what difference does all this make in our lives? So, what about those texts that seem to tell us that our works really do matter? Let's look at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll have some key verses on the screen in just a minute. It says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You may have caught some key verses to this, to this discussion in there, like verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. Or you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Or verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. What does James mean then when he talks about all these works. How can it be true that we're justified by faith alone and be true that we're justified by works and not by faith alone? Well, pastor and author John Piper says it like this. He says, these two positions are not contradictory. 
Faith alone unites us to Christ for righteousness or for salvation, and the faith that unites us to Christ for righteousness does not remain alone. It bears the fruit of love. It must do so, or it is dead, demon, useless faith and does not justify. In other words, if our faith never leads to action, it is no faith at all. Even the demons believe and shudder. Right? That kind of faith is useless. Faith alone does not remain alone. The whole book of James expands on this very idea. Faith, true faith, true saving faith in Jesus Christ leads to action. Faith without deeds is dead. And really, the whole of Scripture declares this to be true. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that faith in Jesus Christ compels us towards good works, toward the fruit of the Spirit, toward living in the world but not of the world, toward dying to self and elevating Jesus Christ. Our works really do matter. They're evidence of the saving faith in us. And all of this then leads us to our final question for this morning. What difference does it make? What difference does sola fide from 500 plus years ago make in our lives today? Why does it matter that we affirm justification or salvation by faith alone? I think it's easy to sit here from across the aisle and point fingers at the Roman Catholic Church of 1517 and of today, right? We have severe doctrinal differences. I said last week that to reject any of these five solas is to reject the gospel itself. And so far, we've seen a rejection rate of two for two. It's not great. But before we get all high and mighty, it's important that we look inward and ask the Spirit to reform our own sinful hearts. We try to bring works-based salvation into our theology all the time, right? Sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's overt, but it's always sinister. It's always wrong. It always undermines the work of the gospel. How does works-based salvation creep in then in these subtle ways? Well, it's hard for me to say exactly how this happens for you and your heart, but there are some ways that it seeps into my life and my theology, and maybe you'll relate to these. I read my Bible, and I start to think, hmm, well, God loves me just a little bit more than he did before I read that. And if I can keep this streak going, maybe I can read my Bible every day for 10 days or for a month or for a whole year. If I can do that, God's really going to like me, right? His favor is going to be on me a little bit more, and he'll smile a little bigger. Maybe some of the challenges in my life will magically disappear because God will want to handle them if I just read the word more. Or I do a good deed for someone, right? I snowblow for my neighbor, or I rake some leaves, or I change a diaper, and I start to think, well, God must like me a little bit more now that I'm living out what he's told me to do. I'm, I'm stepping out in faith, and so he, he probably likes me a little bit more because I do that, and it's pretty great. Right? Or on the flip side, we stumble into that same old sin pattern. We yell at our kids or at our coworker. We silently curse out the person that just made us mad. And what, what, what do we think when that happens? Think, ah, oh, I blew it again. God's angry with me. How could God possibly forgive me for this? I guess I'll go read my Bible. Maybe that'll tip the scales back in my favor. Maybe God will smile at me again. 
And church, the beautiful truth that Scripture declares is when you come to Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord of your life, it's over. It's finished. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, and nothing can make God love you any more than He already does. What difference does all this make? When you place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are free in Him. You're free from sin. You're free from trying to earn salvation or favor with God by trying harder or doing more or being better. You're free from the fear of somehow turning God away from you. Free from the pressures of perfection and from unrealistic and unattainable expectations. Free from the impossible task of trying to cover or pay for your own sin. The end of Romans 8 destroys any notion of works-based salvation. Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that end? Nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. It's done. It's done. When you place your trust in Jesus and confess him as Lord of your life, you are washed just as we celebrated in communion. And you are fully forgiven and fully loved. You can't earn more love. You can't be more forgiven than you already are. You are fully forgiven, fully loved, and fully free. Not only Are you free from all of those pressures and false ways of trying to earn your salvation? But you're free to live out your life in obedience to him without the pressures of trying to earn something. You can serve out of love and joy just for the sake of enjoying God more deeply. You can honor God for the sake of honoring him because he deserves it, not because you're trying to get something in return. You can surrender your life day by day, just because you know that Jesus loves you. So yes, live out your faith in action and your life in obedience to God, but not because you're trying to earn something. God already loves you beyond your wildest imagination. Sola fide, salvation by faith alone. The church stands or falls upon the doctrine of salvation through faith alone, by grace alone. If we hold to works-based salvation and we proclaim it, we condemn people to hell. But if we boldly declare the shocking truth that Jesus Christ went to the cross, bore the sins of the world, died and rose again on the third day in victory, if we tell people that they can experience life with God in eternity by placing their trust in Jesus, we present them with the greatest news and the greatest hope in all the world. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're doing great in your walk with the Lord or maybe you're struggling. But wherever you are, I do know one thing. You struggle with this. You struggle with how to reconcile how you can be so sinful and yet the Bible says that Jesus died for you because of that sin and that you're fully forgiven no matter what, when you place your faith in him. How can all of that 
be true, right? Wherever you are, you struggle with trying to earn your salvation or earn God's favor rather than resting in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We all struggle with this. And so, as we conclude, I want to invite you to take rest in him. Take rest in Jesus. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus for salvation and you've been caught up trying to earn your salvation by doing good deeds or trusting in a baptism that happened earlier in life or maybe you've even prayed some empty prayer with words that you didn't mean, if that's you, I invite you today, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Confess him as Lord of your life and out of that faith, walk with him day by day. And... If you've already placed your trust in Jesus, rest in him. Rest in what he did on the cross on your behalf. You don't have to earn your salvation or God's favor. In fact, you can't. You can't. According to scripture alone, we are saved by faith alone. What a glorious promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the way that you've moved throughout the history of the church. We thank you for the men and women in the 1500s who called the church back towards purity and we're so grateful to be standing on the shoulders of theological giants as we discuss the truth of what the scripture has to say. We're in awe of your willingness to send your son to die that we could have new life if we just place our faith in him. Would you remind us that we don't need to try and earn our salvation or favor with you? And if there are any here this morning who are hearing this who don't yet know you, Father, would you reveal yourself to them? Show them your deep love and desire for a relationship with them. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.